Hey boys and girls, welcome to the best podcast in the history of mankind. It's Monty's Rockcast. And now here's your host, Monty Calvin. Hey, 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 welcome to the Rockcast. I am your host, Monty Colvin. This brother's electrifying. So glad you could join me. Uh, Like I said on the last episode, I'm not doing a lot of shows anymore. I still enjoy doing the podcast, but, uh, you know, I just don't have as much time anymore. And that's because I've started a brand new career for myself. As you probably already know, I'm an artist, and I did a whole bunch of artwork for the Galactic Cowboys over the years. Uh, I've done portraits for people. I've done murals. I've done comic strips and illustrations for a couple of different magazines. And I've done album covers and so forth and so on. But I was never really able to support myself just doing art because it just wasn't steady enough. But I always wanted to, and people always really seemed to like my stuff. And about three or four months ago, uh, I was thinking about how much fun it was to do those murals at the School of Rock. It was like the funnest job I've ever had, and then I got the idea one day, hey, why don't I do smaller versions of those murals? And it's like a light bulb suddenly came on, and so I made a website, and I've started doing paintings of rock stars. And the name of the website is MontyColvinArt.com. And I've got a lot of stuff on there for sale already, but uh, some people commissioned me to do uh, special things for them. And so far, it's going really well. However, one thing I hear a lot from people is, uh, I really like your stuff, and I'd love to have one of those paintings, but I just can't afford it. And I think, okay, I get it, but uh, a lot of my stuff on there is between $100 and $200. In fact, I think the average price of the paintings is like $150. I have bigger ones on there that are like four and $500, but on average, most of them are priced lower than you pay for cable every month. And with my paintings, uh, you get to keep them forever. It's just a one-time charge. But I know when it comes to art, you know, a lot of people feel like it's uh, kind of a luxury that they can't afford. So, uh, you know, I understand. But on the other hand, the other day I got an email from Eric in Orange County. And he sent me this video that was up on YouTube. And uh, it was of John Mellencamp. And he's a painter. And he's showing some of his paintings to Sammy Hagar. And Sammy's like, oh, cool, what's that one cost? And he says, uh, $30,000. Holy crap! Yeah, and so uh, maybe my stuff isn't exactly overpriced. I've paid more money to a lawyer for one hour of his time. And so if you're a unique, special person that values art, and maybe you want something cool for your man cave or an office or wherever, or maybe you just want to buy a cool gift for somebody, Drop me an email, I'll work something out with you, or uh, just visit my website, MontyColvinArt.com. Millions of people flock to the website. All right, on today's show, uh, I'm going to kind of be all over the place. I found some random articles on Facebook and some questions, and I'll probably do a top ten or two. But let's start out with something from you guys. Uh, I got a couple questions here from Sabrina Nelson on Facebook. And the first one is, what do you think of the band Rival Sons? Uh, Well, Sabrina, I have not listened to much of them. I've seen a couple of videos on YouTube. And they kind of remind me of that uh, retro stuff like Zeppelin or something like that. And I've never been into that kind of thing. I can appreciate it and I think it's good, but uh, I'm just not into it. I mean, I'm not meaning to say that they sound just like Zeppelin or uh, whatever, uh, but, you know, when I hear it, I just think, uh, you know, I'd rather listen to something else. What's wrong with you? Okay, uh, now that that's cleared up, uh, let's see. Uh, The next one from Sabrina is, uh, did you ever meet Ricky Rackman? Well, as a matter of fact, I did. Now he has a story to tell, and what a story. Back around 93, when uh, Galactic Cowboys released Space in Your Face, uh, we got to go on Headbangers Ball. It was me and Ben. 
We were on tour with Dream Theater at the time, and it was in New York City, and uh, we got there really early. And if I remember correctly, it was our manager, Andy Gould, who suggested that we take a couple of Galactic Cowboy t-shirts and give them to Ricky when we got there. And, you know, uh, we thought it would be a nice gesture, but uh, we also were kind of hoping that maybe he'd wear them on the show sometime. So we go into the studio, and there's Ricky, and we walk over and say, Hey, Ricky, and we introduce ourselves, and we go, Hey, we brought you a couple of t-shirts. And I don't even think he looked up at us. He just went, yeah, throw them over there. And it was at that very moment when I kind of figured out that uh, Ricky really didn't care whether we were there or not. I think he had Vince Neal coming in after us, and I'm sure he was probably a lot more excited to see Vince. But we went over and sat down and started taping the show, and the first thing he said was, uh, yeah, I remember you guys had that song, It's Not Unusual. And it was then that I realized that uh, Ricky didn't really know much about us at all, because the name of the song that he was talking about was actually called I'm Not Amused. But Ben and I just went with it and we're like, oh, you mean the Tom Jones song? Uh, It's not unusual. And uh, we're just thinking, oh, this is great. And uh, all of a sudden, Ricky just goes, nah, cut. And we were like, no, man, that was awesome. What are you doing? And, uh, you know, but no, he just, uh, he wanted to start the whole thing over. And so we did, and it was a little awkward at that point. But we went ahead and did two segments with him, and he played our video, If I Were a Killer. And when it was over, we just kind of left, and that was it. And, you know, it was a cool experience. I'm glad I got to do it because I was a huge fan of the show. And it had been a dream come true for me to be on it. And so to actually do Headbangers Ball was just amazing. But Ricky, uh, you know, Ricky was Ricky. He was kind of like you'd expect. Uh, You know, he he wasn't a total jerk. But, uh, you know, he wasn't the nicest guy in the world either. But to be fair, uh, neither were most of the people in the music industry that I met. But anyway, that's what happened when I met Ricky Rackman. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. I don't agree with it, but I, I, I think it's an amazing story. All right, let's do a quick top ten. And this comes from my good friend Paul Morgan. Paul is just a hell of a nice guy, and uh, he sent me a list of the top 10 questions asked by songs. And I think you'll get the idea when I tell you that number 10 is, Do You Want to Dance by the Beach Boys? Number 9 is, Do You Know Where You're Going To? by Diana Ross. Number 8 is, Do You Feel Like I Do? by Peter Frampton. And I love that song. I still, uh, every time it comes on, and it comes on every day, trust me. Uh, every time it comes on, I sit there and I jam out. But I rarely listen to the radio anymore, which is probably why I rarely hear that song anymore. Hit me with more! Come on! Come on! Let's go! Continuing on, uh, number seven is Are You Gonna Go My Way by Lenny Kravitz. Number six is Do You Know the Way to San Jose by Dionne Warwick. Number five is Are You Experienced? Jimi Hendrix. Number four is What's Your Name? Leonard Skinner. Number three, it's by Jimmy Buffett and it's called Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw? Whoa! Well, if I had a dime for every time I've been asked that, let me tell you. (laughs) But, uh, sorry, I don't drink. Sounds like you do. Number two is by Polly Coconuts, also known as Paul Morgan, with his song, How Can I Miss You If You Don't Go Away? And at number one on Polly Coconut, I mean uh, Paul Morgan's list, it's by Galactic Cowboys, Where Do I Sign?
Now, unlike some people, I don't personally feel the need to go on Facebook every single day of my life and tell you every single thing that I'm thinking or doing that particular day. However, I do get on Facebook and I'll admit that I kind of enjoy scrolling through and seeing what other people are saying and posting. And about 99% of the time, it is a complete waste of my time. But every now and then, I do run onto something that's kind of funny or kind of interesting. And the other day, somebody posted a link to a website called Digital Music News. And I don't think I'd ever been on that website before, but they had a list that uh, I thought would make for some good podcast fodder. It was the 12 things you should never say to a musician. And I'll start with number 12, which was never tell them to play Freebird. Yeah, that may have sounded funny back in the 80s when somebody screamed it out in the middle of your set, but it's not anymore. So feel free not to do that. That is a huge issue. And number 11, and this probably should have been higher, but it's... I have a great idea for a song. Oh, dear God. Yeah, I'm sure you do, but uh, why don't you go work on that? Because I'm really not that interested. It's kind of like when people find out I'm an artist and they say, uh, Oh, yeah, you're an artist? Uh, Well, you know, my kid likes to draw. Nobody cares. At number 10, never tell a musician it will be great exposure because that usually means it doesn't pay. Yeah, well, I guess that could be true, but uh, this is one that I kind of disagree with. Because a lot of times when you're trying to make it or get signed or whatever, you got to do a few things that don't pay. I did a ton of gigs where I didn't make a dime. I sang on other people's albums for free, like, uh, you know, King's X, Carrie Livgren, Ty Tabor. And I didn't get paid, and I'm fine with it. Because guess what? People saw the name on the album, and they were like, Oh, what's this? Galactic Cowboys. Okay, cool. And so don't always feel like you have to get paid. Sometimes the exposure and the experience and the opportunity is worth it. And this is bad advice. Number nine is don't ask a musician, What's your backup plan? Yeah, now I do get that one because uh, that comes off like they don't believe in you or they think this is some kind of fantasy. And with some people, it probably is. You need to be realistic. Now, I never really left myself a backup plan or a safety net, but trust me, there are many times when I wished I had of. Because, man, when you lose the record deal and the bottom drops out and all you're left with is an art degree and a bunch of albums, uh, there aren't a lot of options. You're shit out of luck! The next thing you don't want to say to a musician is, what's your real job? Yeah, that, uh, that kind of thing will piss us off, but at the same time, uh, I kind of get this one also because I've done both in my life. You know, I've uh, painted houses and I've also been in a band as a full-time career. And let me say once again, uh, one of those things is a lot of fun. The other one sucks total and complete ass. It really does. If you're making a living playing in a cover band, I say good for you. But then again, I wouldn't tell a lot of people uh, how hard you work or how strenuous it is. Because people probably aren't going to feel that sorry for you. I'm just saying. Hell with that! At number seven, it's, hey, can I get on the guest list? Plus one. Yeah, I don't know about that one either because I've actually done that myself. Back when we were on Geffen and uh, we just made Space in Your Face and uh, we spent so much money on that album, I was completely broke. And around that same time, this band called uh, Life, Sex, and Death came to Houston and I wanted to go so bad. And I'd met their bass player before and he was a really nice guy, so I went to the club that day early and I hung out with him for a while. And right before I left, I was like, uh, hey, I'm coming tonight. Uh, Would you mind putting me on the list? And he was like, sure, man. And, you know, uh, when I'm playing, I would love to put all kinds of people on the list. The problem is, is that the club a lot of times will limit how many people you can put on that list. 
But, you know, it's always good to help out local bands and uh, support starving artists. And we always appreciate that, too. You are so cheap. The next thing on this list is you should never say to a musician, you must love karaoke. Uh, you know, I've never done karaoke in my entire life, so uh, I guess the answer to that would be no. But speaking of karaoke, uh, at number five, you should never say to a musician, you should be on The Voice. You know, the funny thing about that show is they're supposedly making stars out of all these people. But I don't recall ever seeing anybody winning a Grammy or playing the halftime of the Super Bowl and having people say, uh, yeah, you know, they got their start on The Voice. I'm not saying it hasn't happened because I do not watch that show ever, but I don't know of anybody that's ever gotten huge because of it. The whole thing stinks. At number four, it's when am I going to hear you on the radio? And that's actually easy because uh, the answer to that is these days, probably never. Unlike the Hellmobile, I actually have a stereo in the car that I just bought. But I rarely, if ever, turn over to the FM dial. I listen to a lot of AM talk radio, but uh, to go to a rock station for some reason is just a waste of time. Unless I want to hear the same Ozzy and ACDC songs that I've heard a million times, it's completely pointless. Apparently these stations have figured out that they can make money if they just play the same old crap every day forever. They're not going to play new bands. They're not going to play anything new from old bands. And I really sincerely think the reason is, is that's what people want. It's not what I want. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, it's probably not what you want. Because we have brains and we're searching for things that are new and fresh. But Joe Blow, the mechanic at the local body shop, he does not. He wants something that he's familiar with. And that's why he calls in every day to the local rock station and tells them to play some Zeppelin. He's heard it and he's comfortable with it. It's like a nice fuzzy sweater. And as long as these morons keep listening and the uh, radio stations can sell ads, then they're not going to change their format. What the hell is wrong with you people? Another thing you should not say to a musician is, number three, you should try out for American Idol. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of put American Idol and The Voice in the same category because I hate them both. And I actually watched American Idol for a few seasons, but uh, after a while I just couldn't do it anymore. But strangely enough, the other night I sat down to watch some TV and there was nothing on. And I saw American Idol was on, and I thought, well, you know, it might be good for a laugh. So I turned it over there on it, and I watched it for about two minutes. And it was just the same nauseating shit. There was this girl with a mediocre voice, and she's trying to way over sing. But the crowd and the judges are just going berserk because she's so awesome. And there's no doubt in anybody's mind that she's going to be a superstar. But guess what? No, she's not, because in two months, nobody's going to care. Not Simon Cowell, not Katy Perry, not J-Lo. Well, unless uh, she gets together with four other hot chicks and forms an all-girl group, then Simon Cowell might care. But not until then. I don't care. Now, number two hits home, because uh, it's you sound like blah blah. Name the group or artist. And I can really relate to this because back in 89 when uh, we got together and formed Galactic Cowboys, I thought we had something that was really, really unique. We had four-part harmony vocals, but we mixed it with Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax-type riffs, and we were thrashing and uh, singing pop melodies at the same time. And I thought, who else is doing this? Nobody. And we got signed to a big record deal, and they told us we were going to be huge because there was no one else like us. And we actually had a hard time finding anybody to tour with because, uh, you know, we just didn't fit in with anybody. We were too heavy for some bands, and we weren't heavy enough for other bands like Overkill. 
But since we had the same management as King's X and we toured some with King's X, we immediately started getting compared to King's X. And for the next 30 years, I would not read an article or a review that didn't say we sounded like King's X. And I know people have said stuff like that because they felt like it was a compliment because, uh, you know, King's X is a really good band and you could be compared to a lot worse. Like, uh, I never heard anybody ever say, uh, yeah, Galactic Cowboys, they sound like poison. Ah! But no, it's always been King's X, even though uh, I've never heard them do anything like this. Now, according to Digital Music News uh, website, uh, the worst thing you can possibly say to a musician, and at number one, it's, are you trying to be a musician? How dare you? Yeah, I can see how that could be a little insulting. I'm not trying to be a musician. I am a musician. But I think for the most part, a lot of people look at uh, musicians or guys who are in bands as, uh, you know, they're just kind of screwing around for a while uh, until they figure out what they want to do with their lives or they're just having fun on the weekends. And no one really ever expects you to make it or, uh, you know, to make any money or do anything. They just think it's a hobby. And to this day, if I'm talking to somebody and they don't know that I play, uh, you know, and they're just like, oh, really? You're in a band? And I'll say, yeah, uh, we're called Galactic Cowboys. And they'll always say the same thing. Oh, really? Where do you play? And I know what they mean. They're thinking, oh, uh, do you play around Kansas City? Because I go over to Roadhouse Rubies every now and then. And I'll say, well, we don't really play around here locally. Uh, I either go down to Houston for a show or we tour. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, have you ever recorded anything? And I'll say, yeah, we've made about seven albums. And that's when they always, 100% of the time, say, oh, okay, well, uh, would I find something on YouTube? And I always say, yes, yes, you could. And that's where the conversation ends. Wow. How sad is that? So that was a really interesting list. I enjoyed going through it. However, I thought of something that uh, would probably be at number one on my list. And that is, you never want to say to a musician, Yeah, you're pretty good. There's nothing worse. So picture this. You just got off the stage, you're covered with sweat, and you've given it all you had that night. And some guy walks up to you that was in the crowd who probably never picked up an instrument in his life, and he says, uh, you were pretty good. The nerve, the unmitigated goal, the audacity! Now, while that may sound like a compliment, uh, my goal in life has never been to be pretty good. I strive to be great or outstanding or amazing. Pretty good, not so much. Now, I will settle for you were so good or uh, you rocked, but pretty good is an insult. And keep in mind, if you don't think I was great or really, really good even, uh, you don't have to say anything. In fact, I would prefer that. Because you're such an a-hole. All right, let's move on to something else. I was thinking about this the other day, and I know I've mentioned it before, but I met my wife, Lindsay, when I was playing a crunchy gig years ago. And she'd never really heard of Galactic Cowboys before that, but she liked my crunchy stuff, and apparently she liked me. And we became Facebook friends and got to know each other. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, uh, you know, maybe she just likes me because I'm a musician. And maybe when that wears off and she figures out I'm just a regular guy, maybe she won't be that impressed with me. 
But she stayed with me for years, and the other day I figured out that, uh, yes, she truly does love me. And it's got nothing to do with the whole rock star thing or me being a musician. Because the other day we were hanging out, and somewhere in the conversation I happened to drop, uh, well, you know, I was in Bass Player Magazine back in the 90s. And I was waiting for her to go, ooh, really? But instead, she went, uh, bass player? <laughs> Who reads that? Don't! And I said, uh, I guess bass players? I doubt it. And it got me to thinking, you know, the bass player is really one of those uh, less glamorous positions in any rock band. And unless you're a bass player who is also the front man, a lot of times people won't even know your name. For instance, if I ask most people, uh, who's the guitar player for ACDC? Without hesitation, they're going to go, Angus, Angus Young. But if I ask the same person, okay, uh, what was the name of the bass player in ACDC for the last, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40 years? They're going to go, I have no idea, but I sure like those songs. Yeah! But let's face it, the bass player is usually just that guy that stands back there in the back by his amp and uh, he doesn't really move that much. And he's just expected to hold down that rhythm. And even the drummer gets more attention because he's in the middle and he's usually up there on that riser. And once in a while he gets a drum solo. But if a bass player starts doing a bass solo, uh, unless you're Billy Sheehan, most people are going to go, listen, I'm going to go to the bathroom, and then I'm going to go get a beer, and hopefully by the time I get back, this guy will be done doing that. I don't want to see that. Now, there are exceptions, like if you think of Motley Crue, you think of Nikki Six. But as a general rule, if you're the bass player, you're going to be lucky if you even get to be in the video. And that includes me. I like to think of myself as a fairly entertaining entertainer. And when you come to a Galactic Cowboy show, I will be moving around and I will have my bass in your face. But we've done several videos where when I saw the first edit, I was like, uh, well, uh, yeah, pretty good video. Uh, I mean, I wish I was in it, but, uh, you know, other than that, it's uh, pretty cool. And I don't know if you've ever seen that video we did for the song, If I Were a Killer. But we did that out in California, and it was really hot, and we were running through these gigantic tubes. And for about 12 straight hours, I was just running around and jumping and banging my head. And by the end of the day, I was completely exhausted and couldn't hardly move the next day. But we were on tour at the time, and about a week later, we got a FedEx sent to us of the first edit. And we were in a hotel room, and we watched it, and I remember afterwards Ben getting on the phone with our manager. And he said, listen, uh, first of all, I want you to tell the director this song is not about gun control. But second of all, tell him to put some shots of Monty in there because he's kind of important to our stage show. Is he right or not? So thanks to Ben Huggins, uh, I got in that video, but uh, it's not just me. I've watched concert videos on YouTube and uh, there's been points where I went, uh, does this band have a bass player? Because uh, we're about three songs in and I haven't seen him yet. And then all of a sudden I'll go, oh yeah, there he is. This is enormously important. So bass players don't always get their fair shake. But there are some bass players who become massively famous, either because they're in a band that becomes huge or uh, because of their unique style or sound. And I've given you my list of my favorite bass players on past episodes. But one day on Facebook, Rockcast listener James Ross sent me a link to a YouTube video by a guy named Rick Beato. And on this video, Mr. Beato ranked his top 20 bass sounds of all time. And I watched the whole thing, and as you might have guessed, I had just a couple of thoughts. I'm shocked! Now, before I dive into this, let me just say that uh, I'm not real familiar with Rick Beato. Uh, He's got a lot of videos up, it seems, and uh, he seems very knowledgeable. So any of my comments are not meant to be disrespectful. 
but I did disagree with a lot of his choices and I will explain as I go along. And mostly I was a little confused uh, because uh, he starts this out saying this is a list of rock bassists. So you're not going to get jazz guys on here like Jocko Pastorius. But then one of his first choices is uh, some guy that played with the Jackson 5, not named Jermaine. And uh, I thought, uh, well, they're not rock, but uh, okay, whatever. And then he also explained that his list was not a list of the greatest bass players. It was a list of bass players who had the best sounds or tone. And I thought, okay, cool. Well, that sounds a lot more interesting. Because God knows I've seen that same list a million times where it's got Getty Lee at number one, blah, blah, blah. Who's Getty Lee? Getty Lee, best bass player ever. Come on. So I had high hopes for this, but uh, then he started the countdown at 20, and it was Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I think Flea is a monster, but uh, he played this clip from this one song uh, that uh, sounded like a board mix. In fact, most of the clips that he played sounded like board mixes, and it was real dry, and uh, I was like, really? This is uh, the best tone ever? But he also had Chris Squire on there, and I know Chris Squire's tone was awesome, uh, even if you couldn't tell by the clip that he played. He had a few others on there that I figured would be on there, like, uh, you know, Getty Lee and uh, Geezer Butler. But he also had some people that I just couldn't believe, like uh, Ben Shepard from Soundgarden and Mike Starr from Alice in Chains. And he played the bass line from the song Wood and talked about how great it was. But I'm not even sure that Mike Starr played on that song. But uh, anyway, you know, uh, I think the point was is uh, he liked the riff. And then I thought, okay, I think this is a list of this guy's favorite riffs instead of favorite tones. Because I'll be honest, most of these tones are sounding like big fat goose farts. And if it's about riffs, uh, shouldn't Dave Ellefson be on here with his amazing classic riff that opened up Peace Cells? But no, it was not. However, he did kind of make up for it when he chose Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick. That guy should be on every bass list ever, forever. I completely agree! He also had Sting on there, and I don't know about that. Uh, I think he also had Paul McCartney on there, and that's cool. And he also had John Entwistle from The Who on there, and that is excellent. But who did not make his list? Well, there was no Lemmy, uh, there was no Steve Harris, there was no Billy Sheehan. There was no D.D. Verney from Overkill or D.D. Ramone. And I know you King's X fans right about now are going, What about Doug Pennock? What about Doug Pennock? And I'm sorry to tell you, uh, but no, uh, he did not make this guy's list. How is that even possible? And oh my God, were the King's X nerds blowing it up on the YouTube comments. You would have thought somebody had slapped their mom on Mother's Day. This is devastating. However, somebody did also mention me, and uh, for that I appreciate it. Thank you, and God bless you. But that was the gist of it. If you want to see the video, you can go to YouTube and look it up. But for me, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting and fun to watch. But uh, outside of a couple of guys on the list... I thought he basically left off everybody that I've ever thought had a really, really killer tone. How would you know? But then again, that's just me. My point is, so what? Alright, how about I do some questions from Facebook? These are questions that people ask on Facebook, but instead of answering them on there, I answer them here. And the first one is, name an actor you just can't stand. Wow, okay, well, there's a lot of actors who I really admire their work, but when they start talking in real life, I go, geez, what a douche. And one of those is Robert De Niro. He has been so great in so many movies like Goodfellas and Raging Bull, but when he gets on award shows and tries to be political, he just comes off like a real idiot. 
However, it doesn't stop me from liking him as an actor. But the one guy that I really can't stand anything he does is Pete Davison. He's on Saturday Night Live, and he's also in that movie about Motley Crue, The Dirt. And he's supposedly funny. Uh, I know he thinks he's funny, but I don't think he's funny. And he just strikes me as a real smarmy a-hole that needs to be punched in the face. I'm loving this! The next one is, what's your craziest saw them before they were big concert? Alright, well I'm trying to remember when it was. I think it was either in the late 80s or real early 90s. And I was living in Houston and a friend of mine who worked at this club running sound uh, gave me a call. It was a late Sunday night. And he said, hey man, you ought to come on down. Uh, This band called Soundgarden is playing. And I think I may have heard of him at the time, but, uh, you know, I didn't really want to get out. But this guy was like, yeah, come on, man. Uh, They've already started playing, but you can catch part of it. And he said, I'll get you in free. So I went, all right, what the hell. So I drive on down and uh, I get there and walk in and nobody is in this place. And I stood there and watched them for a while, and on their very last song, Chris Cornell jumps onto the empty dance floor and sings. And he's on his knees, just wailing away, and nobody seemed to care. Uh, including me. And I walked out of there that night going, wow, what a waste of time that was. Uh, Because, uh, you know, they're never going anywhere. Crazy how that works out, isn't it? All right, here's a good one. Uh, Have you ever been kicked out of an event? You know, believe it or not, I'm really not that crazy of a person. Uh, I may act like it on stage, but uh, for the most part, uh, I'm pretty well behaved. But there was this one time, and I think it was around the same time as the last story. So it must have been around 89, but uh, Galactic Cowboys were in the studio making our first album. And we were putting in some long hours, and, uh, you know, we were paying by the day, so we were staying there from morning till late at night. Well, at the time, I was a big Faith No More fan, and uh, I heard they were coming to this club in town. It was this place called Backstage, and Pantera used to play there, we used to play there. It was a really cool place. And I wanted to go really bad, and so I told the guys, hey, why don't we take a break and uh, go see Faith No More, and then we'll come back afterwards and uh, keep recording. So that's what we do, and uh, we get there, and we wait through an opening band, and we're standing there and standing there, and finally Faith No More comes on. And I had a really nice spot. It was up against this railing, and I could see him perfectly. But then this chick gets up on the railing right in front of me. And I couldn't see the band anymore, and so I yell, Hey, could you get down? And she ignores me, so I give her a little poke, and I say, Hey, get down. And she looks at me and flips me off. Well, now I'm a little bit pissed, and so I give her a little nudge. Well, then she turns around with fists full-on flying. And, I mean, she's just throwing punches at me. And uh, what do I do? I just hold my hands up and kind of guard my face. Well, all of a sudden, here comes this security guard, grabs me and says, You're out of here. And I'm like, Seriously? And Dane was like standing there going, No, it wasn't him. It was her. But the guy's still like, no, come on, follow me. And I think he's going to take me, uh, you know, somewhere else into the club. But instead, he walks me to the door and he goes, yeah, you're out of here. And I'm like, "Uh, I can't even stay for the rest of the show. And he's like, no. So uh, I left and I only got to see two songs of Faith No More. That's a hell of a story. All right, let's do another question from you guys. Uh, This one comes from Rockcast listener Paul Stinning. And Paul says, hey, Monty, how's it going? What kind of question is that? Well, Paul, I happen to think that that is actually an excellent question. And I'd love to tell you that everything was going great, but uh, actually, here lately, uh, I've run into a little bad luck. No way. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. But I've said it before. I'm probably one of the unluckiest people on Earth. And once again, I'll tell you why. Last week, I'm driving Lindsay across town so she can go to the dentist when a rock flies up and cracks the windshield of my new car. Now, this threw me into a fit of rage for two reasons. 
first of all, before this had happened, I didn't have a scratch on that car. But you see, this is why I should never have anything nice. Because it will just end up disintegrating. And that's why it was probably just better that I drove the Hellmobile for about five years. Because it was already a piece of crap when I bought it. So it really didn't matter if a rock ever hit the windshield. But you know something? A rock never did hit the windshield of the Hellmobile. Oh no, everything else about it had to be held together with duct tape. But because I finally have a nice vehicle, here comes a rock. And think about it, that rock could have gone anywhere. It could have gone to the side and missed me completely, or it could have bounced off the bumper. But no, it was as if it was thrown by the hand of God or the devil or Nolan Ryan, and it went right into that windshield. And I let loose with a string of obscenities that would make a sailor blush. Because I knew at that very moment that this was going to cost me money. Even though Lindsay was trying to calm me down with the, yeah, it'll be okay, we've got insurance. And that was the other reason why I was upset. Because I know insurance never works. You pay for insurance, but somehow it never quite applies to whatever goes wrong. And sure enough, we call Progressive and they're like, oh no, it, uh, you know, not, uh, not windshields. It applies to everything else, but not your windshield. And so we got an estimate and found out it was going to cost me about 400 bucks. It breaks my heart. So that really sucked, but the next day I had to go to the dentist. And once again, Lindsay's like, hey, don't worry about it. We've got insurance that covers two free cleanings a year. And so I said, okay. And so I go and I'm in the chair and they check me out. And the dentist lady says, uh, oh, okay, well, uh, you're going to need a deep cleaning. And uh, you've also got some fillings that need replaced. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to charge you $111 today. And then you can come back two more times, and the total will be around, oh, $400. Ah! It's kind of like when you go to a mechanic to get your oil changed, but he tells you that he's going to have to rebuild your carburetor. You know, you're just kind of screwed. So I said, uh, okay, go ahead and do it. So they start shooting me up with Novocaine, and they get done, and I go home. And then four days later, I realized, you know, my tongue is still numb. I think they hit a nerve. What can go wrong will go wrong. So needless to say, things have not been going quite the way I planned. But hey, I've still got my health. Uh, kind of. I mean, uh, my health kind of sucks too. But recently I decided to do something about it. And I actually went and got myself a membership to a gym. I saw that this health club was running this promotion for $20 a month. And I thought, okay, well, I can probably handle that. And so I go sign up and they say, uh, well, before you get started, uh, we're going to give you three free sessions with a personal trainer. And I'm like, uh, all right. And he takes me over to this big bodybuilder guy. And this dude just starts torturing me. And I'm like, you know, I haven't worked out in about four or five years. And he's like, yeah, all right, give me 15. And the next day I could barely move. But I go back a couple of days later and once again he tortures me. And at one point he says, are you having fun? And I said, no, man, nothing about any of this is fun. And he says, okay, well, uh, come on over here and I'm going to tell you some stuff about nutrition. And we get over to his desk and he starts writing out these meal ideas. And he says, okay, for breakfast tomorrow, you need to have four eggs and a cup of oatmeal with some peanut butter in it. For lunch, have a small piece of grilled chicken and some rice. Two hours later, have a piece of celery and some peanut butter. And then for dinner, let's say a piece of salmon, a sweet potato, and some asparagus. And I thought to myself, hmm, okay, well, uh, that sounds terrible. And that's when I thanked him, got up, went home, and uh, had five tostadas and a piece of pie. That isn't healthy. And the other thing that I've been doing here lately is that last night, Scott, Julie, and Kyle McAleer drove down from Iowa, and they took me with them to see Michael Schenker in concert. And I literally waited over 40 years for this to happen. 
You see, back in 1978, I got the UFO Live album, Strangers in the Night. And I got tickets to see them on that tour, and they were like on the third row. And the lights went down that night, and I was so excited. And when they came up, I looked up, and I said, that's not Michael Schenker. Oh, my God. Yeah, apparently he had left the tour, and even though UFO was really good, I was really disappointed. And all these years since then, I kept thinking, well, eventually I'll get to see him, but I never had, until last night. And let me tell you, this time I was not disappointed. He was great, and by the end, I had worked my way up through the crowd, and I was standing right in front of him. And I got pictures and video, and I was a total fanboy, and it felt like I was 18 again. I mean, the crowd was basically nothing but old men, and the guy standing next to me looked like he was about 80. But it didn't matter, because I got to hear some UFO, and the solo on Rock Bottom was incredible. Absolutely magnificent. So thanks to the McAleers for taking me to that. I had a great time. And I got to thinking afterwards, you know, the coolest thing about Michael Schenker isn't that, you know, he was in UFO or played on Scorpion albums. And it's not even that he's an amazing guitar player. What is it exactly? It's that Michael Schenker is German. And because he's German, he can actually understand what the words are to a Rammstein song. And some of you may not know this yet, but Rammstein actually has a new album coming out. And they've released a new song to it, and I think it's great. So I'm going to end the show with that, and I'll be back with more fun and mayhem very soon. Feel free to contact me through my websites, monicolvin.net and monicolvinart.com, or on Facebook, and I would be happy to hear from you. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care, don't let anyone tell you what to like, unless it's me, and rock on.
steigt, der wird tief fallen. Deutschland, Deutschland, überall. Dein Herz in Flammen will dich lieben und verdammen. Mein Atem kalt, so jung und doch so alt. Deine Liebe ist Fluch und Segen. This has been Monty's Rockcast. That song was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. <laughs>